Welcome to One Does Not Simply, where three friends take on the Lord of the Rings and go on some unexpected journeys. I'm Wanda. I'm Navia. And I'm Ashani. This is episode 36, One Does Not Simply Return as the King. As always, there will be spoilers for the entire Tolkien verse ahead. With that said, let's get into it. Welcome back to what? (laughs) I think she just said they did. I said did it. (laughs) (laughs) He is risen. (laughs) He is risen. It's Easter and uh, we are recording the episode of our podcast about this chapter called The Houses of Healing, which is kind of a funny coincidence, I think, because even though it's not going to be Easter when you guys listen to this episode. It is Easter right now. And it's an interesting time to come upon this chapter where there is like so much really heavy handed Roman Catholic shit going on. It's like not even funny. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien decides to choose this moment to trot out the fact that the foretold returning king of Gondor will be able to magically heal everybody. Uh, And that seems to uh, create a big opening for Aragorn to waltz into the city and uh, begin uh, proving some of his his metal and uh, winning over the populace. At the same time, uh, the people who are most in need of his help, uh, Eowyn, Mary, and uh, Faramir, I almost forgot Faramir, are <laughs> lying up in the Houses of Healing, basically at death's door. So this uh, this discovery that, that Aragorn, you know, can and must come in to heal people cannot really come soon enough. Um, that's Jesus, baby. That's uh, exactly <laughs> what the divine right of kings, in my opinion, has all been about. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to say that now, since I might, may not get a chance to say it later in this episode. Um, this is very, this is very Jesus-y stuff coming from Tolkien. Uh, guys, what did you think of Aragorn's uh, choices in this chapter? You are the makes, only one of us that I feel comfortable saying that. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, well, neither of us were raised remotely Christian, so no. I'm glad you said that's Jesus, baby, because... <laughs> and I was raised remotely Christian. <laughs> and remotely only. Um, oh, all right. I think I like I like reading this with you because I don't pick up on a lot of this stuff until you say it, and then I'm like, oh wait, that's super obvious. <laughs> um, because my when I was reading this chapter, I was just thinking about like historically, you know, the divine right of kings being like that they had all these powers, and then like you know, kings would do things like wash people's feet because that was holy somehow (laughs) and so I was thinking more about that which is obviously still religious but I just didn't make that connection um so thanks for delivering unto me (laughs) yeah yeah you know you you guys will both be delivered through me um the the thing with I think that the divine right of kings stuff in history is supposed to somewhat I mean, I, I'm not a scholar on this, so I could be wrong, but I think it's supposed to somewhat harken back to Jesus actually going and healing the sick. And that is kind of the image that you have uh, in this chapter with Aragorn going and like literally just the laying on of hands is what allows him mm-hmm. to heal people more, more or less. 
Yeah, and there's also like several moments of um, people not believing in some of this stuff because it's been, you know, just it's become midwives tales, right? Of just like, oh, this herb doesn't actually do anything. It's just an old song. Um, and that really harkened back t- to some of that religious imagery too of like, well, if you're the right person, it'll work. <laughs> yeah. See, both of you had like such deep and thoughtful thoughts about this. And meanwhile, I was just sitting there going, why does this feel like he's just putting everyone in the room on uppers? Like, <laughs> he comes in with this herb and genuinely doesn't even really do anything. Like, he barely lays on hands, even. He mostly just puts the, like, king's foil in water, I think? Yeah, he does aromatherapy. Right. <laughs> and then it's very soothing and it makes people less depressed. So this is uh, eucalyptus, right? <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> this is actually, guys, I hate to inform you, Aragorn is not Jesus. Aragorn is like my mom and going, Vic's VapoRub will cure everything if Aragorn you just put it is over just some like, hot water. Aragorn is just, she has like an MLM about essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, Wanda, you had asked a question about Aragorn's actions in this chapter and I know what you were trying to get at which was the the shrieking in our notes about Aragorn's decision um, towards the beginning of the chapter to not enter the city of Minas Tirith and you know you said that you didn't really mind him saying that and then going in anyways and I don't mind that he like basically said something and then did something different because he was working under a set of information and then we know Gandalf comes and gets him and is like no actually you do need to go into the city but I think for me the part that was kind of silly about that was he's basically saying I don't want to go in because I don't want to divide the people's opinion I want them to have one person who they are sure or like one house that they are sure they are following while we are at war. So there's no split leadership, which is a valid thing. I mean, we saw it a couple of chapters ago that when it was unclear who was actually in charge, some people were like, let's listen to Gandalf. And some people were like, no, fuck Gandalf. We've got to listen to Denethor or whoever Denethor has assigned. And so that logic to me makes sense that you don't want people thinking oh is somebody else going to be in charge should we be listening to someone else but the idea that just putting the banner away (laughs) is sufficient to make that like doable when you go in and then there's all this gossip because people are like oh the king's Mm -hmm. here and he's healing people like you can't put that you cannot put the worms back in the can like real quick because i don't i'm not sure how much of what happened uh, you just said in chronological order for the listeners aragorn basically says at first i'm not going to go into the city of gondor uh i don't want strife and then when Gandalf says, you need to go in there because you're the only person that could heal Faramir and Eowyn and Mary, then he goes in. And it basically takes all five seconds for him to change his mind because Gandalf works fast. Well, there were there were two two components to this that were just like absolutely ridiculous to me, right? One is what Ishani was saying, which is that he specifically says, put all the banners away. I don't want them to know I'm here. This This dude came in here 
one chapter ago, banners ablaze. The, like, the, the right. even star was on them. Everyone saw this shit. And now he's just like, oh, no, put it away. No one saw anything. Uh, okay, well, no, though, sure. Because he doesn't put the banners away. He says, pitch my tents on the field. And then he says, here I will await the welcome of the lord of the city. No, but he no, does he, tell he, he tells does. the he says, Arwen's brothers to like put the to furl up the banner again. What? Yeah, where does it? Yeah. It, 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 it's right here. And he commanded that his banner should be furled, and he did off the star of the North Kingdom and gave it to the keeping of the sons of Elrond. Son yeah. of a bitch! I didn't see this at all. I, I, I guess I raised I read this paragraph kind of quickly. This part is like ridiculous to me because everyone already saw this. And even if you could say, oh, the people inside the city might not have seen it because it was out on the battlefield, like people talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, So there's that. And then my favorite part of this is that then Gandalf calls him, he goes in, he does the healing and everything. And everyone's like, ooh, king's here. All right. He's got the hands of the king. And then he goes back into his like, no one knows the king is here mode. Yeah, and there's a line at the end that's just like, and everyone woke up and was like, "Was the king really here?" Yes, because everyone's alive still. Yeah, I basically okay. I I, I issue a retraction. <laughs> I retract because I thought that this whole time, like Aragorn, basically had one stated intent and one real intent, and his real intent was literally just to do, uh, to like do politics by making himself really obvious on the field for everyone to see. And waiting for the steward to come out and, like, basically uh, meet him on his own turf. So I thought that was really smart. But that's not what he did. Never mind. Um, well, no, okay, does he, he... have done that, honestly? Like, that, you're right. Because that would have been a very sensible move to be like, I'm here to help, but mm-hmm. I'm going to wait to take my throne until, like, I'm not going to assert any claim over the city until I have been invited to do so. It's really the fact that he's trying to go incognito in between, like, these mass healing events that I think is the part Again, I found if he is Jesus silly. in this situation, it would be like if Jesus left and everyone was like, was that Jesus? Well, that didn't happen, by the way. Happy Easter. Um, that's what the holiday's about. Uh, but... Uh, I don't know. But yeah, the the uh, that that is interesting that like in between like you're saying mass healing events, uh Aragorn decides to disappear and people like don't really know if he was ever there. So it's like the the rumor, I guess if if anything positive has come from this, it's that the rumor of the king has been kind of lit up and he is like effectively increasing some of his people power um or the or his legitimacy among the people of Gondor without having any out and out confrontations with uh the steward um who is now in a coma because he's Mm -hmm. Faramir but if it had been Denethor it would have been Denethor. Well is is he still the steward? I mean Prince Imrahil is in charge now right? His are the banners that are currently flying. He's the the Mm -hmm. regent of regent (laughs) of the steward of the house of Gondor. (laughs) Yeah. We're just going you know, layers and layers. Yeah. I guess I'm unclear on like what Aragorn is waiting for at this point because he knows now that Denethor is dead and that Faramir is in a coma and mm-hmm. and and Prince Imrahil is in charge. It's not even like the stewardship just automatically passed to Faramir. I, is he waiting for somebody to invite him to be king? 
like, yeah, actually, I, I, I mean, well, I think he you know, is. But... Shani, you should go. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Well, I think he is He is kind of invite, waiting for someone to invite him to be king, but I think that there, it's not one person that he's waiting for. I think he's waiting for basically everyone to beg him to come in and be king. Um, like, he's, he's waiting for his legend to precede him because he understands that, like, in Middle-earth, that is how politics works. If you do not spend any time doing like, uh, like the 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 horse trading of like, you know, waiting to be in the room when the king dies. If, unless you do that, the only way of like taking power is by is basically by becoming like a demagogue. And that is in his way what Aragorn's doing right now. He's like he's going around. He's doing the laying on of hands. He's being Jesus, and everyone's like, "Well, Jesus should be our king." But this isn't a democracy. It's a monarchy. It passes through bloodline. Well, and that's the thing is, I actually think that what he's waiting for is for Faramir to recover, because my sense is he doesn't want there to be any sort of split feelings, right? And so if there's any case that could be made that Faramir was, or that, I mean, essentially the House of the Stewards didn't yield power peacefully, right? That power was essentially stolen while Faramir was unconscious, in the houses of healing or you know not well enough to do anything about it that that creates a possibility for division among the people of gondor and so to me like the logic of waiting is wait for faramir to get better because then faramir can say yes i am the rightful steward and now you are the rightful king returned and so as your steward like we have preserved the throne for you here you go like where there's none of that feeling because you're right like it is a monarchy ultimately it doesn't matter i mean like yes the common people's opinion matters but it it's not the decision maker here it's only whether or not there's going to be like revolt afterwards Mm -hmm. so i i kind of feel like that's what he's waiting for is the optics of faramir being well enough to like give him the throne that he has been kept in stewardship all these years does he know faramir yeah, I was going to say, like, maybe he knows that Faramir is basically the steward now, and so he thinks he's going to have an easier time of it diplomatically than he would have had with, with Denethor. Maybe they've, like, met, too. I mean, they were both rangers, right? Still very unclear about the rangers thing, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it seems possible that they, if, even if they haven't met, that they would have heard of each other. No, and I think you're right, that even if it was just through Gandalf, Aragorn could have been provided with the information of Faramir is a, a sensible and reasonable man. I think you have a good shot at being able to manage a peaceful transition of power. And part of that is also if he lives, right? Like, can you imagine the chaos if Faramir died and then trying to come in and claim the city as king? Mm-hmm. Like, that would have been messy as fuck. So and that's probably... Aragorn does have... I mean... Yeah, go ahead. That's like that seems like one of the reasons ultimately why Aragorn does come into the city, right? He's like, uh, your your main diplomatic partner is about to die. Yeah, right. Like you better pull this together because if you wanted a peaceful transition of power, it's not going to happen if Faramir kicks the bucket. Even if it's just like I know the Prince of Dol Amroth is also sympathetic to Aragorn, but even just the question of who is rightfully steward of Gondor if Faramir dies? Like, 
there isn't necessarily one clear pick because you've got to imagine there are nobles who live in Minas Tirith who would want to claim that power. You got to appreciate right? so like just how messy Denethor was being. <laughs> in his well, original plan, he was like, <laughs> no one will know who's in charge. I think this is like a. I think this is a cool section. Uh, like the way the way that it's written so as to be like, um, like no political concern is really glossed over. Like nothing is nothing is made like over simple. Even if you don't agree with Aragorn's choices, you have to you you got to hand it to Tolkien for like, uh, basically putting all of the putting all the the stakes out there properly and like really giving uh giving the the politics of the whole situation its due right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that he doesn't... I think in many stories, like, this could have easily been, like, a celebration victory chapter, right? Where everyone's just like, yeah, we won, and people are reuniting. I mean, Merry and Pippin are reuniting, and uh, Eowimer finds out that Eowyn's alive, and a lot of, like, things that generally would be positive and celebrated occurrences happen in this chapter, but he gives us this, like, very realistic like shell shock moment of after the battle where everyone's just like, what do we do now? I I like that. Yeah. And like the, and the people that are in charge are basically flying by the seat of their pants. And the whole time Gandalf keeps being like, there's still some other concerns that we have that are not being addressed. Like that Sauron is still out there. (laughs) Well, uh, moving on from that, uh, Aragorn, so he comes in and he does uh, he does the the power of magical thinking and positive thinking and wakes up uh, the the uh, this is really I'm really saying this badly he heals people and uh, <laughs> in the process there's a conversation that takes place between him and Eomer and Gandalf about Eowyn as she's just lying there uh, stubbornly refusing to be healed from her wounds uh, which you guys seem to think was pretty interesting I thought it was pretty interesting too uh, uh, Shani do you want to take us off talking kick us off talking about that Sure. Yeah. So there's this section, right, where they're all, <laughs> all of these dudes are standing around Eowyn's bed and, and talking about what's wrong with her, um, which is an interesting conversation because I think we all read it a little differently. I will say that my take on it is that Aragorn is seeing her fragility not necessarily as and I don't know that any of them are seeing it as purely based in romantic love um I think if anything Aomer is the most like oh well she really changed after she met you Aragorn but Aragorn himself says that you know she doesn't really love me she loves the idea or the promise of glory and a life outside of what she's known and both Gandalf and Aragorn seem to think that a lot of this is she spent so long worried about Theoden worried about the influence of Wormtongue worried about the fall of their house because of these poisonous things that Saruman was putting into Theoden's ear through Wormtongue and because of that feeling of desperation she then looked at Aragorn as a potential savior or as a way out of that situation. But she's still not necessarily going to feel, even if they can heal her body, that that has been resolved and that there's hope 
both for her house and I think for her as an individual to live the life that she wants to live. Yeah. I, okay, so I think I had like a knee-jerk reaction to this where I was just mm-hmm. like, how dare these three men stand around and mansplain what could be going on <laughs> to yeah. with with in, like the inner workings of this very complicated woman who just defeated the Witch King and oh it, well it must be heartbreak that's what it must be and yeah I agree Shani that it definitely like I appreciated Aragorn kind of explaining that further but I think the thing that bothered me is um, it seems to me like romantic love in these books is is like only ever talked about with the female characters um and obviously you have other romances going on right like you have Aragorn and Arwen even though he never mentions her by name um (laughs) and you have you know like Sam is gonna go fall in love with Rosie Cotton and stuff but it's so unrelated to the motivations of what their characters are doing and and why they are like making certain decisions but with the female characters, like, that seems to be the central reason that they do anything. Um, and that bothers me. And then the other part that bothers me is everything you just said about how, like, she, even if she wakes up, she is still going to feel this way, is about to go away because she falls in love with Faramir. That's yeah. what solves her problems. No, I mean, that's the... A... <laughs> oh, good. Um and we haven't quite gotten there yet, so I won't... I actually thought this was the chapter that happens in, but I guess it's not, um, so poor memory of me. But um, that, like, just knowing that that's going to be the thing that resolves this really very complicated problem and situation that she's in, that... I hate it. <laughs> Wanda, thoughts? I don't know. I don't know. I guess I, like, I guess I've, I... I think that's like I think that's I think that's all valid. I also feel like the the sadness for me of this chapter is that like you see Eowyn at her very best, you know, and she slays the Witch King, and then she goes into a coma, and immediately you get like these three male characters uh, telling her story for her and like giving her a clinical diagnosis. It's just like a big bummer, right? Like it's it, you could not you could it, you know for a character who is who gets a lot of hype as like this. Um, feminist icon that's like buried in Tolkien's books really like that's not what this is at all right because you you could not surgically craft a bigger a a bigger letdown after uh, like a female character or a heroine does you know does her thing it's like it's like if like after Joan of Arc burned at the stake there was like some dude on set like Freud coming in and being like well she actually suffered from like a pretty serious like a mental disorder caused by (laughs) her father or something like that. It's just like, it's just a, it's just a downer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will say to your point, Navia, about romantic love, I definitely read this as her like romantic aspirations were basically, she was in this position where she wanted something and the societally acceptable way for her to try and pursue that was to frame it as a romantic pursuit. Yeah. But it's not really, right? Like, it's not really what she wants. It's just that she's kind of forced into or has been told that's how she should think of things. But I also really, I absolutely am on the same page with both of you about, but it's really frustrating to then feel like, why are all these other people, (laughs) why doesn't she get to tell her own story? Yeah, I would have felt differently if she had come to that realization of like, oh, Mm -hmm. I didn't really love Aragorn, just the idea of him. But to hear him say it is like, 
kind of gross. Yeah. 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 Barf. By the way, they don't even mention her defeat of the Witch King in this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> they not, talk about everything but this massive thing that she just well, did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they kind of did. Like, when? <laughs> they say, for she was pitted against a foe beyond the strength of her mind or body. Ah, and stop. Then... She defeated him. He's clearly not. Well, being... and then. He wakes her up by saying, Eowyn, Eowyn's daughter, awake for your enemy has passed away. Mm-hmm. Which is basically like, hey, girl, you won. Um, but also, yeah. Even no, just that I, phrasing, though, your enemy has passed away. No, you yeah. killed him. You did it. Right? Yes. <laughs> like, why are you removing the agency from even that sentence? Yeah. And I do think there's that piece of the frustration too is for me a little bit coming from even after she wakes up there is that recognition of well now she's survived it and she's she going to go back to having other people make these decisions for her yes <laughs> she probably right <laughs> but it's okay like, she's going to fall in love it, it is really yeah. funny, like, what you're saying, Navia, about how, like, the, the resolution of this story arc for her is that she falls in love with Faramir. It's so dumb. None of her issues have been resolved. She's still not going to be allowed to do anything. She's still going to be stuck in whatever cage she felt like she was stuck in. The only thing that changes is now she's in love? Yeah. No. Well, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's dumb. I just think it's funny. <laughs> I mean, I, if if anything, the funny part is it shows that Tolkien probably didn't know anything about women. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Tolkien's women are not really like generally like this. She's very much an outlier. Well, and oh, okay. So now I'm at this part looking at the chapter again where Gandalf goes, but do not speak yet of war or woe until you are made whole again. And I'm like, sir, sir. You would not say that to anybody else. <laughs> Just try not to think about it, baby. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I also, like, I really didn't even like the way that... <sighs> okay, I don't... Tell me how you guys felt about this, because basically the thing that ultimately wakes her up, right, is that Aragorn tells Eomer... Like, she loves you, right? Like, she actually really does love you because she knows you, and you can wake mm-hmm. her up, so you call to her. And so Amor, like, talks to her, and that's when she wakes up. And I I think that was supposed to be, like, a recognition of, like, Aragorn is not her end-all and be-all, but just, it's another man! <laughs> It's another man who is going to take responsibility for her and for her actions, and it's another cage of a different kind, and I don't know. Just, well, it's like what? nobody else needs that, right? Like, the, the whole purpose yeah. of, like, be, of, like, calling is that Aragorn's doing the calling, right? Aragorn ca- yeah. calls Faramir, Aragorn calls Mary, um, but... Yeah, why didn't it's... they have Pippin call Mary, right? Like, <laughs> that would have yeah. made more I, sense. I would like to propose an alternative explanation, which is that Aragorn is incredibly awkward around somebody who he had to gently reject a couple of chapters ago. <laughs> he's and like, get me out him. of here. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to do the work and then I'm going to peace because I don't really want her to see me and be like, oh, you saved me. Like, not that I think she would, but uh, I feel Actually, like... I think she totally would. 
You think she would at this point? I, I think she would she wake up and be like, oh my god, I'm even more in love with this man who has saved me now. I think that that would be consistent with like the character as we've seen until now. I mean, I don't like that that's true, but I, I yeah. do think that's what would happen. I mean, I don't know whether or not it would be, but I, I do feel like that's Aragorn's worry here, and that's why he's like, okay... We're going to stage this so that, like, Aomer is the person she sees when she wakes up. And then it's not going to be weird. As a technical matter, uh, is it true that he rejected her romantically a couple of chapters ago? Well, I think... Does he ever explicitly reject her? You're right. He didn't explicitly reject her because I don't think she explicitly, like, women of this time would not have explicitly declared romantic intent. But clearly he feels that she was crushing on him i mean he says it you know and she was and she was right but so that is i mean he talks about few other griefs amid the ill chances of this world have more bitterness and shame for a man's heart than to behold the love of a lady so fair and brave that cannot be returned right so he's straight up going like this is awkward and uncomfortable for me and i don't want to deal with it Which, I mean, You're right, it, it's though. fair. Like, he, doesn't, he says you can't come with us, but he doesn't go, and I don't love you. Yeah. <laughs> he does, like, a couple of times. I mean, I feel like him, like, with his even star banner and everything is basically, like, parading around a wedding ring and being like, I'm not available. Yeah. <laughs> Some other lady is making my banners. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, all right. Anything else? Anything else on this topic before we move on? No, I just I hate this character assassination of Eowyn. <laughs> yeah. Um, I kind of think that we should just do. Let's just do a quick fire because we've got so many other like small things that came up for each of us in this chapter. Um, I will. I'm gonna just go first here, and since we're on the topic of Aragorn, say that I learned today, as many of you listeners already know that Daniel Day-Lewis uh, turned down the role of Aragorn in the movies, uh, which makes me a little bit sad because if the movie was being made differently by a different director in a way that like did not try to rehabilitate or Aragorn's character for a modern audience at all, but instead just like did a completely loyal interpretation, I cannot imagine a better actor for this role than Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> like, so obnoxious, <laughs> like so, like the very little bedside manner just big dick swinging and tool energy uh i think he would have done a great job so i just want to say i i have some i have some fomo for a world where uh there was a uh paul thomas anderson lord of the rings trilogy with daniel day lewis's aragorn (laughs) how much do you think we would have liked these movies at the age that we started loving them if we weren't crushing on aragorn so hard well, but I guess it depends uh, on if it was a very different kind of movie, right? If this was, like, a darker, more political, like, everybody is inscrutable <laughs> and feels like they know best take on Lord of the Rings, then I don't know that I would have cared so much about, like, the personality would have kept me from crushing on any of the characters because it would have just been like, this dude's a dick. Yeah. Although there are other there are other other characters that that you could have interpreted very loyally that would have just been like hot. Like I think Sam, you could have do like a very loyal interpretation to Sam and that would be hot, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
But it's it wouldn't still, have been hot at that age. Everything is different, but Orlando Bloom is still Legolas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he carries the entire picture uh, in terms of the uh, the demographic uh, eight to fourteen year old girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I also don't think that like at that age we would have found Sam hot. We think Sam is hot now. Well, yeah, that's our priorities have changed. Yeah, and I think it actually says something that, like, uh, something I don't like, that the movies are are working so hard to cater to this demographic of, like, young teenagers. Um, but that's I don't know that they're they, doing they that didn't... intentionally, though. I don't think that's true. And it's no, definitely I'm... not... A... Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, 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 sorry, I interrupted you. But how could that not be true, right? It's a fantasy movie. The year is 2001. <laughs> I don't think that Peter yeah. Jackson, like very like poured all of his heart and soul and passion into these movies with the framework in mind of like teenage girls must love this (laughs) 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 to be fair peter jackson is himself a a big teenager uh and Mm. so he probably did not have to do anything consciously to appeal to the demographic of uh of the teenager (laughs) yeah but we digress in a major way. Most movies are made for the demographic of like teens to young adults. Like, you know, the vast majority of blockbuster films are not made for like 60 year olds, right? And they're also not made for five year olds. Except for that like weird, for people, like, there's definitely like a weird genre of movies that are all about like old ladies doing things together and i'm pretty sure six-year-olds are the target demographic yes i just watched one of these recently like Like, it's a bunch of old ladies that go on a cruise together and i was like what am i watching yes there's mom movies but like that's (laughs) that's a different subcategory i also don't think we can understate really the or overstate (laughs) the way that uh that these movies kind of shifted the the terms of what like different age groups cared about like Mm -hmm. i feel like the the lord of the rings series redefined what was acceptable what kind of movie was acceptable for like a dad to enjoy (laughs) yeah but that's perhaps a a topic for another time we should do like a we should do an episode where we do like a comparison of various like fan castings of the movies that have been floated. I think that would be fun. If you yeah, yeah. bonus episode. Yeah, bonus, but we also have to bonus. end with our own fan casting. Ooh, we've done bits and pieces of that before. Yeah, I'd be down. I for want that. the whole thing though. Yeah. Anyway, I thought you were gonna say we should have fire? a bonus episode with our dads. <laughs> <laughs> No, my dad Don't fell asleep like one third into into Return of the King, so I don't think he'd have much to say. Really, <laughs> your dad was not into it. No, um, he was not. Um, okay, I can go next. I have I have a quick fire. Um, so th- this is actually like it starts out being a chapter from Mary's point of view, and um, first of all, I forgot that the hobbits are like the main characters of this book because every chapter pretty much has been from one of their points of view um that is totally lost in the movies like mary and pippin are kind of relegated to being sidekicks but um they're clearly meant to be like fairly main characters but what i noticed in reading this was there's there was a lot of like what felt like the movie's style of comedy in this chapter where it was just like people being sassy towards mary and pippin um and I finally like I was trying to think about like 
what is the style of humor in these movies. Um, I think it's really just like most of the of the comedic moments and most of what is funny in the script uh, is just like other characters playing off of how naive and innocent the hobbits are. And I can't really think of like any other instances of like comedy. In the movies? In either the books or the movies. I mean, Gimli in the movies. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I hesitate to use the word humorous because a lot of it's It's not funny though (laughs) but like it was clearly written in with the intent to be comedic that's true yeah the movies also deploy a lot of physical comedy toss me yeah toss me and um (laughs) toss me um but (laughs) sorry i'm gonna erase that (laughs) (laughs) so is the only comedy that exists then like people being innocent or people being small <laughs> yeah i think that's, like I, I mean i think that's important that like the 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 real kind of um almost situational comedy that happens in the books is it doesn't do you feel like it really translates to the movies because i don't feel like that they really they they made it translate all that well um and you bring up like a really good point that that's that's the main source of the humor in the books is like people kind mm-hmm. of it, you don't really you don't they're not belly laugh moments but you do you do smile because they're like taking the piss out of each other yeah it's i mean gandalf like dunks on them constantly and other than that i mean i'm struggling to think of an instance that tolkien like is trying to write comedy or anything funny into these well they're funny in the way that like if you watch like a, a like an old movie they're kind of funny like they're like certain like old really old comedies where you're like this is lighthearted. I think that's how you would describe it now. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know really what I was like. I don't know what my point is by bringing this up. I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> I don't I don't have a take really. No, I thought I think that's like I that's something I hadn't really noticed or hadn't really like floated to the top for me, but you're totally right. It's a big part of the chapter. Well, and right, I Shani. guess then my quick fire will be related to both of yours, which is that I like actively liked Aragorn for more than half a second at the end of this chapter, which was weird, you know, because I didn't wow. like the way that the situation with I know, right? <laughs> I was like, holy shit. When Mary and Aragorn are interacting, it was the most I have ever liked Aragorn thus far it was cute because he's yeah like he's he's gentle about mary's grief around theoden he's teasing him he makes jokes like he actually seems like a real person and it actually finally finally speaks not just to aragorn having a personality but also like having a meaningful relationship with other characters which just has barely happened up until this point and i include arwen in that category (laughs) right that that was really like tolkien ended on apart from the bit where aragorn just leaves the city and everybody's like was he real Um, (laughs) i felt like tolkien tolkien generally ended the chapter on a strong note with that and then mary's thing about like loving what you are fitted to love starting somewhere and and still valuing the fact that you maybe have that worldview expanded 
I liked both of those things. Everyone is like so much better in these books when they're interacting with the hobbits. Mm-hmm. Like almost involuntarily. Yeah. Also, Which I, I feel love like is because the hobbits. We actually like know who the hobbits are, right? So we finally have a frame of reference for like how the hobbits feel about people. We can go, oh yeah, okay. Well, if Mary likes him, then I should like him because I like Mary, and I, you know trust his judgment yeah that's why we like dribble who yeah. <laughs> makes a reappearance in this chapter yes wanda's comment on my note which just said the return of the king <laughs> <laughs> amazing <laughs> he's back baby all of us though all of us saw that and we're just like gerbil <laughs> um i i just like to say take a second uh to lift up what you were saying a second ago Ashani because the there is that moment at the end of the chapter where Mary talks about like loving loving first and foremost what you are best fit to love uh which mm-hmm. for him and Mary and or, sorry for him and Pippin is the Shire and you know where they come from but then also uh the feeling of you know really trying to trying to make space in your mind and your heart for things that maybe you did never you never needed to know <laughs> you never needed to love mm-hmm. But life has kind of put them in your way to love. And uh, you have to kind of figure out how to accommodate that and see that as a blessing. I thought that was really, yeah, like you're saying, um, Ishani, I thought that was really deep. There were some really beautiful lines about grief in this chapter. Um, And I think there's like kind of one about each character and what they are going to have to deal with when they wake up. Um, And I thought all of them were just like very well done. Wanda, I think you put one in your notes, too. Yeah, yeah, when, um, it, it, what was it? It was when, I think Gandalf, or maybe Aragorn, says about Mary that his, uh, the the grief that he's experienced from, or the trauma that he's gone through by killing the, helping kill the Witch King is going to stay with him forever, but it's not going to darken his days. It's going to make him a wiser person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I cried for real. Yeah. Tolkien didn't understand women, but every so often he did understand feelings, (laughs) (laughs) as I think the takeaway here. Thanks for listening to One Does Not Simply. This episode was edited by Wanda. You can find us on Twitter at ODNSPod and Tumblr at One Does Not Simply Pod. Special thanks to Andrew, Sneha, and all our listeners for joining us on this journey. If you like what you hear, give us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen to.